R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we'd like to help bring attention to this issue that affects one in four women nationally and one in three women globally. At Reemployability, we're donating a percent of every referral processed in the month of October to The Spring, a domestic violence shelter and nonprofit that provides services in Tampa, Florida. Over the next three weeks, REA Audio will feature aspects of this issue and how places like The Spring become a refuge for survivors and empower those affected by domestic violence to find a way out. If you or someone you know is in need of help, please Google your state name with the words Domestic Violence Coalition for resources similar to the spring near you. Mindy, thanks for coming back and talking to us again. We're kind of segmenting uh, four conversations about domestic violence to highlight sure. Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, I'm speaking with Mindy Murphy. She's the president and CEO of The Spring of Tampa Bay that is a domestic violence uh, shelter and, and services here in the Tampa Bay area. Um, Mindy, when we left off last week, we had started to talk about the the case of Gabby Petito. Obviously, it is all over the nationwide and and globally as well um, but there are so many other cases that happen is is a case like Gabby's um, beneficial to your mission or does it hamper your mission well you know I mean it's um, it's a kind of a fraught conversation it um, any number one what happened to Gabby is an absolute tragedy right a, a young woman full of promise and should have had another 80 years of life uh, you know her life was cut short by the you know abusive choices of her partner and so that um, is a tragedy and it's a tragedy that plays out all too often you know three women a day lose their lives uh, in our country as a result of, of domestic violence and I think the most recent um, national statistics were saying that's actually taking closer now to four, four women a day being murdered by um, by abusive partners so you know one is one too many um, but that being said you know there are moments um, in kind of the collective consciousness of our country Ray Rice a few years ago um, who was the football player who battered his um, then fiance uh, but it was caught on camera he you know knocked her out in an elevator and then dragged her by her hair um, it was the visuals, you know, a, a picture is worth a thousand words, mm -hmm. and it was so shocking to people to see that. And yet, that is a, you know, that was not an unusual behavior on the part of batterers. Batterers, you know, batter pregnant, they're pregnant women in, in their belly when they're pregnant. Um, they strangle their partners on, a, you know, a regular basis. Um, they, you know, beat and cut and, um, and belittle and um, terrorize every day in America. But when it's caught on camera, um, it captures the attention and when it's a particular tragedy it captures the attention and I think with Gabby there was so much content both the content of she and Brian as they make their cross-country trek and it's this content that they look happy and you know they're young and they're in love and they're visiting these beautiful places contrasted with the you know hour and 17 minutes of body cam footage um, then contrasted with finding out that you know he's returned without her and then they discover her, her, her murdered mm -hmm. body. Um, so it was the combination of, of visual with this tragedy. Um, and she's a cute, you know, 20, you know, 20 something perky, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
perky young woman who looks like a lot of America and people can identify and say, she looks like my, she could be my daughter or my sister or my um, niece. Uh, and, you know, so that's where it starts. And certainly I think it's helpful because conversations are always helpful. If there's one person who as a result of Gabby Petito's news coverage, hears someone like myself talking about services and didn't previously know that there were services, or maybe didn't even realize that they were in an unsafe relationship and they get help, then that's a win. Um, what's hurtful about it is so much attention and so much resources um, is being placed on this one person who was murdered. And meanwhile, there are you know, thousands of other people who've gone missing as a result of suspected um, intimate partner violence, um, and their stories haven't been told. So it's balancing all mm -hmm. of that. Sure. It, it, so the the spring here in Tampa Bay you mentioned last week was uh, founded in 1977. Yep. Uh, obviously, when an organization like this is founded, there is more attention brought to the problem of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Have we seen any change in the 40 years. You know, I mean, I, I would like to say uh, we've seen dramatic change, but we still have an awful lot of intimate partner and domestic violence occurring and teen dating violence. So not as much as I would like. Um, we know one interesting change that happened um, in the early days, and I don't know the recent statistics to see if that's still holding out, but the um, the rise of domestic violence services for survivors who are primarily women, and we do serve men, so I want to be clear, men can be victims and we do serve men, but you know, it's a small number of men versus a very large number of women. Um, but we actually saw a decrease in um, men being murdered, right? The uh, murder rates for men um, decreased uh, in the early days of domestic violence services because women had an alternative, right? Before you're abused and abused and abused for years, and at some point you're like, I have, if I don't kill him, he's going to kill me, mm -hmm. right? And so um, there was actually a decrease in the number of men um, being murdered by, by their female partners as a defense uh, against abuse. Mm -hmm. um, so that was an unexpected thing that we saw in the early days. Um, you know, recently we've seen a rise in our community in the number of domestic violence calls for law enforcement services, which is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Mm -hmm. Most domestic violence goes unreported. Uh, and we've seen a rise in the number of people seeking injunctions for protection. So it's not, um, you know, it's a little bit like a sine wave mm -hmm. um, with peaks and valleys, but it's certainly not um, significantly decreased the way you would expect in the 21st century yeah. in the greatest country on earth. Has the rise been attributed to COVID or is it just a natural flow? Uh, no, I mean, we had those same challenges um, prior to COVID. I can, I can remember in 2017 was the first time that I saw that the murder rate for women um, experiencing, you know, being murdered by the abusive partners was starting to uptick. And that one in or three women a day in the United States being murdered by abusive partners was inching closer to four women. And that was back in 2017. Um, with COVID in our community, and I can't speak for the entire country, but what we've seen is particularly an escalation in the level of, for lack of a better term, we've been calling it sadistic levels of violence. So um, as we look at our high-risk cases and our, our um, two, uh, two of our advocates specifically work on high lethality cases where they're, they're assessing with law enforcement um, survivors that they think are particularly high risk um, for being murdered um, if there's not some sort of intervention. Um, and when you look at those cases, and our, our, our team is reviewing sometimes upwards of 500 cases a month uh, and flagging those that they think are high risk, which could be as many as 70 to 100 um, cases could be flagged to be high risk. Um, and when you're looking at use of weapons, uh, we've seen about a 
almost 20% increase in the last two years in the use of weapons other than only your hands. So, you know, partners often batter their, their you know, their, their victims with, you know, a fist or, or attempting to restrict airflow by strangulation or, you know, uh, or, or restricting airflow by, you know, putting a pillow over them or pressing up hard so that they can't breathe. Um, but in addition, now we're seeing more um, batters picking up not only guns and knives, but weapons of opportunity, you know, the claw hammer that's sitting in the toolkit because, you know, he works construction or the baseball bat that's leaning up against the door because he's going to go play ball with the guys, um, the brick or the paperweight. So they're battering not just with their hands, but also with other um, implements. And that really is dangerous. Do we have any idea why that's occurring? If it is it directly related to COVID or is it just you know, it's hard to say. It's clearly, uh, you know, I, I'm only speculating because yeah. uh, I'm not a researcher. Um, but when you think about um, COVID and the isolation that we've all experienced during the pandemic and the fact that so many more people are home, homebound, working from home, fewer eyes on kids, fewer eyes on adults, um, you know, the batterer may be thinking, you know, nobody's going to see this. So mm-hmm. I can do what I want because nobody's going to be able to see and I'm going to get away with it. What about social media? Has mm-hmm. that become kind of a weapon of opportunity oh, for gosh. folks recently? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, web, and particularly in younger relationships. So, you know, teen dating violence is just as prevalent. The rates of harm um, for young people, sometimes as early as in their middle school years, uh, you know, young people can be victims of, of dating violence, uh, you know, middle school and high school. And actually, you know, the greatest risk for, um, for being murdered is really for, uh, young women in their late teens to early 20s, um, incredibly heightened risk um, for, for being murdered like Gabby was. Um, but social media, the cyberbullying that occurs um, and the weaponizing um, of, of um, relationship details, right? I mean, don't ever agree. You, you think you love your partner today, but don't ever agree to film um, things that are happening, you know, privately, private sexual relationships, because that gets weaponized um, and survivors are terrorized and it's so hard to get um, stuff like that down and off social media. Um, Stalking, uh, because there are so many technological tools now available and they don't cost a lot of money and they don't require a lot of super secret skill. Um, Batters, you know, spend a hundred bucks and they can get tracking devices. Um, that they can put on your phone, keystroke, you know, they can put on your car, uh, they can stick in your kid's backpack. So there's so many ways in which uh, survivors can be terrorized even when the batterer is not present. Um, But batterers are really, really good at letting survivors know um, that they are always watching, they are always in control, and you're always in danger. So you better do what I say when I say it, because if you don't, something bad's going to happen. So I'm a father of three. I've got a teenage daughter and a teenage son. And Mm -hmm. I would love to know how to talk about this with both of them because it seems like they're both very different conversations. Yeah, well, they're both different and the same. So, I mean, I would say, uh, you know, part of the work that we do, especially our folks in the schools um, and with young people is talking about what are the elements of a healthy relationship. And so the conversation really should be starting in elementary school with how to be a good friend, right? Because before you're in an intimate relationship, you're in a dating relationship, you're in friendships. And being a good, the elements of being a good friend um, and being a good family member, you know, hold true for being in a, in a dating relationship. So having a conversation with both your son and your daughter about, 
you know, love is based on respect. And there's actually um, a national organization called Love is Respect, loveisrespect.org, that we refer, we, we have that as one of our resources. It's the best um, uh, website for teens and healthy relationships and what's in an unhealthy relationship for young people, loveisrespect.org. Um, because at its heart, you know, somebody cannot love you if they're disrespectful to you. Um, and a relationship built on an understanding that that the two people in the relationship are also distinct individuals with their own hopes and dreams, with their own sets of friends. Um, friends can overlap, but you can also have friends that are separate. Um, you can have interests that overlap, but you can also have interests that are separate. And anyone in a relationship that is telling you to give up your friends, to give up your family, to give up your interests, um, and pitting you against, you know, kind of us against the world, um, that's not somebody who's demonstrating love. That's somebody who's demonstrating power and control. And I think that's an important conversation to have with both sons and daughters that, you know, you want a relationship built on respect where you feel like you can be yourself, where you don't feel like you're being controlled or owned by somebody else. Um, and if you have some tendencies towards control, um, you know, talk with somebody, talk with a professional who can help, um, talk with me as, you know, your dad, uh, because let's work through it. And if you've got friends who, you know, are in the locker room and they're talking disrespectfully about women and talking about what they'd like to do to women and, you know, rating women and, um, you know, behaving in generally, you know, just really disrespectfully, interrupt that. It, it takes a great deal of bravery to be a 16-year-old boy yeah. in a locker room, um, but use that social capital you've got with your friends to say, hey, that's not cool, right? She's she's our, you know, she's Steve's sister. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, like, would you talk about your sister like that, right? Yeah. Interrupt the behavior. And if you suspect something's going on and you, you don't know what to do, you can always talk to a trusted adult. Mm -hmm. uh, so <clears throat> we talk a lot about, and, and for good reason, for the victims of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And, and warning signs if yeah. you know somebody who's a victim. What about warning signs for a batterer? Is, right. is there anything that, that people can keep an eye out for to see if maybe we can approach it from a different direction? Yeah, and I, we should. I mean, I wish. And again, it is about, um, you know, again, this is not meant to uh, attack men because I've got a 23, almost 23-year-old son who's the light of my life and some of my dearest friends on this planet are, are men. But, you know, if if women were going to have solved this problem, we would have done so long ago. You know, we're fierce and we organize well and we get things done. Uh, and we've been working at this for, you know, almost 50 years now. So we need men um, as allies in ending gender-based violence. And, and so I think, you know, again, so much of it starts with interrupting the, the bad elements of, of sometimes guy culture, um, that denigration and objectification of women, um, uh, you know, treating y your partner um, dismissively and as if, you know, something that you can make fun of um, and using your partner to be the butt of jokes, um, sharing stuff that you shouldn't be sharing with your, you know, your guy friends. Women shouldn't be sharing some their stuff. Women shouldn't be sharing with, with their girlfriends either. Um, but I think if, if guys can interrupt some of that early behavior and say, hey, that's not cool. I don't want to hang out with people who um, treat you know, treat anyone disrespectfully. Um, it starts there. And then certainly if you see a guy, you know, um, men who batter are often charming out in public. They might be the neighbor who changes the tire on your car, right? They're the like person who you say things like when, when something bad happens, 
I never would have expected it of Sam. Right. He was such a nice neighbor, right? right, right. Um, because they're presenting their public persona and, and they want to represent that they're this great person, but behind closed doors, something different is happening. So if that neighbor who you know changed her tire is also the neighbor who is making fun of his wife at parties and you know kind of putting something out disparaging and then pulling back a little bit and you see that happening repeatedly, that that could be a sign that he's 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 not you know as great as he appears to be at the mm -hmm. surface and it might be something to you know make sure his wife you know your your other neighbor knows uh, that you know that you have noticed that I think one of the most important things with survivors of domestic violence is there are good qualities about people who batter right that you don't fall in love with someone who's universally bad right. if they you know batter you on the first date you're probably not going on the second date. So globally saying that guy is so bad, you need to leave him right away. That's not helpful. Instead saying, you know, last week when we were together at the backyard barbecue and he kept making fun of you, that really hurt me because you're a decent person and I can't imagine being in your shoes and how that would have made you feel. That wasn't fair, it wasn't kind. Um, and I noticed that and I just want you to know that I noticed that and if you ever need to talk, I'm here for you. Done, stop let them make the next step. You've at least let them know that you've noticed the, the cracks in the relationship and you're available if they need help. That's great. That's great advice. So what I want to do next week is talk about the, the spring itself. And we, <laughs> sure. took a, we took a tour, so I'd like to do kind of a, a virtual walking tour, sure. go through the facilities with you uh, step by step, understanding that there are facilities all across the country that are very similar to this. So a lot yeah. of the things that we're going to talk about next week are uh, services uh, that other facilities across the country have. So yeah. if you are interested in participating somehow in an organization similar to the spring in your part of the country, country, um, you know, know that, that, that it's available for you to either donate to or volunteer, I would imagine, yep. as well. So, uh, Mindy, thanks for your time this week. Thank you, Todd. All right. Thanks for listening this week to REA Audio. If you have any comments or suggestions for upcoming episodes, please let us know. Email Todd at reemployability.com. Also, please follow REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out more content, including webinars, at listentorea.com. If you or someone you know is in need of help, please Google your state name and the words Domestic Violence Coalition for resources similar to the spring near you. Next week, we'll take an audio tour of the spring and learn more about the specific services that are available both on-site and off. Remember, similar resources are available to you by Googling your state name and the words Domestic Violence Coalition. Thanks again for listening.